What wonders filled the sky and earth with each successive day? Great lights of many shapes and sizes ruled the nights and lit the days. The Spirit and the Word, just like a potter's hands, obeyed the Lord and executed His design with such abundant goodness. It was clear the touch of the Almighty was upon the earth in all its parts. Welcome to the Inverse Theology Project. I'm your host, T.M. Moore. In this edition of the Inverse Theology Project, we draw back the veil that separates us from the unseen world as we begin to meet its most unsavory character. Jonathan Edwards described the devil as the greatest blockhead of all, because he fancied, and does still, that he might overthrow Christ and gain his throne. How does one come to believe such a lie, and to lead others to believe it in one form or another as well? That's what we'll be considering in this segment of our project as we listen to Satan himself describe the course and schemes that have resulted in his undoing. Our theme is the theology of evil as we follow Peter's instruction to be sober and vigilant and understand the ways and wiles of the enemy of our souls. Here is part one in our series, Satan Bound. These chains, these cursed chains... If I could chew my way to freedom, I would surely do so, though it cost me pain and limb. To be thus shackled in this bitter tackle he has clapped on me, while he, unfettered, free, and indestructible, thus plunders me at will, is a humiliation too, too deep to bear. I howl and shriek and rue with wildest wails the day I stood before him, thinking to myself he could no more resist my wiles than any mortal man before him. I was clever wiser than this sun-parched prophet, so I thought, and he in all his weakness would succumb to me as had so many others. What a fool I was to think that somehow I could rule the Son of God, that he would bow to me and I his master would forever be. So now I drag these cursed chains around, unyielding, undeterred, but shackled, bound, and helpless to defend my ruined realm against him as he moves to overwhelm my power and wrest from me by force what I once proffered him that day I stood to try his mettle. One by one, he wrenches from my grasp those I kept blinded as they come to him, responding to his simple word of truth and bowing to him as the Lord of life and glory, bowing down to him instead of me. Meanwhile, I spend my grim existence in a never-ending quest to keep his name concealed from all the rest of those who yet pretend they have no need of God. Deceived and dying, many heed my subtle, suave suggestions as I feed them lies on lies and keep their focus keyed on self-indulgence, empty pagan rites, or promises to fill their appetites with wealth or sex or fame, but always from a distance in the background lest I come too close and they perceive the truth of my predicament and see these fetters by which I and they are held in check. Oh, yes, it's true. For all those who yet refuse to bless his name, that they no less than I are clothed in chains, adorned with fetters and betrothed to empty, foolish dreams, the countless lies I lead them to believe, whom I despise almost as much as him. Yet point no blame at me, they love this bold deception game and grasp at any notion, any dream that suits their foolish fancies and might seem to make them happy without having to acknowledge him. 
I confess, I do delight in this deceiver's role. At times I even entertain the thought, sublime as it may be, that I might yet prevail against the risen one, and so I rail against him, casting doubt upon his word, assuring every fool he is the Lord of his existence, urging all to fill their cups again, to lie, cheat, steal, and kill to get their way, and to forget about their God. And then I want to scream and shout, I'm one! The whole created world is mine, and surely even Jesus will resign himself to my control. But as I raise my claws to celebrate my fiendish ways, I feel again the awful weight of chains, and realize once more that all my gains are self-deceptions, faggots on the pyre awaiting me within the lake of fire. This one grim consolation do I own. I shall not bear that consequence alone. There was a time when I was new and free, one of a host of spirits made to be the emissaries of the one who now restrains me in these chains. We learned somehow that he designed to magnify his grace and glory and would make a special race to be the centerpiece of his divine proposal. I was happy to resign myself to his intentions, as it seemed appropriate he who made us should be deemed above all others worthy of the praise of all he had created. Those were days of great anticipation, I recall, as we observed him slowly bringing all the temporal realm into existence by his mighty word. What wonders filled the sky and earth with each successive day. Great lights of many shapes and sizes ruled the nights and lit the days. The Spirit and the Word, just like a potter's hands, obeyed the Lord and executed His design with such abundant goodness, it was clear the touch of the Almighty was upon the earth in all its parts. It was a gem, the worth of which could not be told. Perhaps, I thought, it is for us. For such a treasure ought to be entrusted to the grandest of the Lord's creation. What is there above the angels in this grand and wondrous scheme? And, of that number... It had come to seem to me and many others none was quite so grand as I, for I was brilliant, bright, and beautiful above the rest. Did God intend this paradise as my abode, and would these lesser seraphs, as I saw them, since I knew that they were all in awe of me, be put at my disposal and obey my wishes as I ruled the land and seas as God's appointed regent to ensure that he received the glory due his name, the race of heavenly hosts, and I their king? What better way to glorify our great Creator? Who but I this task could undertake? Oh, I could barely mask my joy and glad anticipation. But as I was made to understand just what the Lord had planned, my fondest dreams began to fade and die. For God intended man, not me, to rule his paradise, and I would be his servant? I who called the sky my footstool? Who surpassed in radiance all the other angels at the beck and call of man? What grander had this dust drawn dull to match my own? An angel should revolt at such absurdity. And so it was that I began to formulate my cause and plot the steps that would correct this great injustice. I remember then that hate began to fill my heart. For man, of course, that pale and puny creature. Even worse than this, however, I began to hate the Lord himself. My wrath did not abate, but grew with each successive stage of man's creation, from his dusty provenance to being planted within the garden, my sweet garden, as I thought, the mandate by the Lord's command to name the other beasts, his granting man the right to taste and feast on every plant save one, 
And then at last the woman for his helper. I was fast beginning to lose all control and swore that I would not abide, would not endure this outrage, this injustice. Soon my thoughts became apparent to a few who sought to urge me on in my ambition. They, persuaded of my prowess, would obey me in whatever course I chose. And so an armed rebellion was conceived to go against the very throne of God and seize it forcefully. I thought that we with ease our bold objective would attain, for I had never seen God's power in wrath, and by my calculations he could, by surprise and show of force, be led to quit the prize I sought and settle for some lesser role. We came against his temple, all the whole vast throng, a third of heaven's most glorious knights, and I their captain. Each was primed to fight unto the death, to seize the throne, and right this great injustice with a show of might and fury heaven had never seen before. But as we marched up to the temple door, it soon became apparent our design had been discovered, for a lustrous line of heavenly hosts had been arrayed against us. Our contingent faltered, and I sensed they knew defeat was imminent, and so I stood before the ranks and roared out, No, my comrades, you have come too far to balk and tremble now. Where is your towering talk of triumph? What's become of all your boasts of victory? Look around, my cringing host. You see the best of all creation in your ranks. Press on, advance, for we can win the day if our resolve is firm. Thus I harangued the cowardly horde and fixed my eye with threatening gaze on every one. But when I turned to lead them into battle, then I saw him standing in their midst, aflame with glory, radiant, fearsome, and his name upon his breast, the word of God. I felt my being drawn away and would have knelt before him as our custom was, but then my trembling turned to fury, and again I urged my minions onward. Not a word escaped his mouth, but with his fiery sword he motioned calmly, Whereupon there came forth from his solid side the one whose name is Michael. He advanced with swiftest speed in my direction, unaccompanied by any other. I prepared to meet him in a duel of champions and defeat him soundly. Then I would assault the Lord himself and kill him with his own broad sword, and then the throne of heaven would be mine. The prospect thrilled me, filled me with a kind of giddiness and glee. I, I howled and shrieked, and terror gripped my hosts, who now were weak with fear and dread. My passion grew into a frenzy as I drew my sword to do the great archangel in, but with one blow he fiercely fell on me and laid me low upon the court of heaven. Never would I have imagined that an angel could such strength accumulate. He stood above me with his sword raised high. The features of his face were terrifying as he drew his awesome might together, and I knew that I was finished, so I cursed my foe with bitter ranting and implored him, Go on, go on, get it over with. But he stood strong and statue-like and looked at me, awaiting further orders. Then I heard a voice that shook all heaven, and the word he spoke secured my fate. Expel him. Send them all off from these lofty heights. Their end in time shall come, for now consign them to the place for which they lusted. Cast them through the veil that separates our worlds, and let them prowl and skulk upon the earth. For yet I will my counsel all fulfill, and I will demonstrate before his lusting eye the glory that he coveted, and he will have no power to stop or hinder me until I crush his hate-filled head at last. Immediately I and all my host were cast beyond the veil and tumbled downward through the heavens, hurtling helplessly onto the earth. The plummet stunned us all, and for the longest time we lay in silence, more from fear than pain. And then I spoke. He will regret that he has not let Michael kill me. Get up. 
Get up now, there's work to do. You cringing cowards, your liberty is true. Now you belong to me, and I will rule your lives from this day on. And let no fool among you think to try my strength. For though the great archangel overcame me, know for certain that no one of you nor all together is a match for me. I call on earth and heaven to heed my solemn threat. I will prevail against the Almighty yet. Now get away from me, be gone, and let me think. When I am ready, I will set my plan before you and will show each one what part he is to play once we have begun. With that, they fled in all directions, and I felt a certain pleasure to command so great a host. So heaven's throne was lost. So what? I will exact a greater cost than heaven's throne against the deity. He'll rue the day he mocked and humbled me. That brings to a close Volume 1 of the Inverse Theology Project. Visit our website, www.ailbe.org, to discover the wealth of resources available to help you grow in your walk with and work for the Lord. Volume 2 of the Inverse Theology Project opens with our next installment, where we return to Solomon's account of his time living the lie as we continue following his report in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Until then, for the Fellowship of Ialba and the Inverse Theology Project, this is T.M. Moore.